Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Bibles, just keep worshiping through study. Grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter four. We'll be in Exodus chapter four this morning. Uh, just again, just one more way uh, for us to continue this study is through the resources we have. So on the screen, you'll see a QR code. Uh, if you want to study guide, a way to continue studying this with us, this will take us, part one will take you to the summer and then we'll start part two in the fall. So get your phone out, scan it. You can download it right to your phone if you'd like to. And then kids, you need to know this. We've provided a family guide as well, and this will come up now. And if you want your mom and dad to teach you about Jesus, tell them to scan this with their phone right now. Tell them to do it. If you wanna know more about Jesus and and you love Miss Allison and uh, you love Miss Ashley and all the volunteers, but you you wanna hear your dad, you wanna hear your dad sing the songs that Miss Allison sings, then maybe you should tell them to scan it. Tell them to do it. There's ways in here that you can just lead your family. I know that we f- often feel ill-equipped to lead our families. Listen, I'm, I'm a pastor and I feel ill-equipped to lead my family. So I need some help. And this is one way I think that, uh, that will help us. So kids, you're here today, first through fifth graders, and we love that you are here. I'm gonna invite Miss Allison up. She's got some things for you. Uh, so you can come on up, first through fifth graders, grab yourself a worship bag. Miss Ashley's coming too. You can grab a, a worship bag. There are activities in there, uh, books, Book full of activities. What's, what's there to play with in there? Anything to play with, Allison? Wiki sticks, Wiki sticks to play with. It's gonna be a blast. I think your dad said to bring one back for him too. So that's all in there. It'll help you pay attention and, uh, and keep going with us. Our first through fifth graders last week just finished a 22-week study on the attributes of God. 22 weeks for first through fifth graders. Don't talk to me about ADD. Don't talk to me about it. Don't, don't tell me that this generation can't learn and can't spend some time in some things. They can do it. They can do it, and they've done it. And I'm gonna prove it to you, hopefully. This morning, we're gonna look at three different attributes of God, three different ones. And so I need three volunteers from first through fifth grade to come out to the stage. Come on up. You know you love the stage, three of you. First through fifth graders. I got money. (laughs) Well, it's cool cash money, but it counts. It counts. We can do four. Okay, okay, okay. Well, come on, this is fun. Allison, you got more somewhere? We print money anyway, we might as well just go ahead and print it. Any boys? No boys. None of you. Yeah? No. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Good job, dude. Way to be a leader. Come on. All right. We're going to look at three attributes of God today. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to do it. All right. Three attributes of God. All right. The first one is holy. God is holy. I need somebody to tell me what it means that God is holy. He is perfectly perfect and separated from sin. Yeah, yeah. 
God is perfectly perfect and separate from sin. That's what it means that he's holy. All right? All right, next one. Oh, you don't even know what it is. Just. God is just. He is right to punish sin. You're reading it off the back. I do it too. It's fine. (laughs) Congratulations. Innocent as doves, crafty as serpents. That's what you should be. All right, last one. God is faithful. I'm going to give our guy a chance. But there's money for you. Miss Allison's making money now. God is faithful. God is faithful. He always does what he says he will do. Very good. Very good. All right, y'all can go sit down. Miss Allison will give you some money. It's 20. 20 cool caches. Thank you. Give our, give our kids a hand, Miss Allison and Miss Ashley. So we are learning throughout our church um, something more important than that David threw stones at Goliath. We're learning who God is. And that will carry with you throughout your life. And so this morning, we're gonna study this passage in Exodus chapter four. And I want us to take the mindset of a child. If you can, and maybe you've been in church for 60 years, it's gonna be hard for you. I want you to pretend that you've never heard this story before. You don't know anything about Moses. You've never seen the movies. Um, you, you don't know this yet, okay? Now on the screen is gonna come up some scripture that I'm gonna use this, uh, this week. Chris made fun of me last week and I'm not gonna do that to him. I won't because I love him. But here's some scripture. So you're gonna take a picture of this, write it down. We're gonna cover um, some of these passages here this morning. But I want you to think about this, these passages in ways that maybe you never have before. One way, a way that for me, that I really enjoy teaching, the way that I think, even when I taught high school math and physics and and all of that, um, because I had a textbook that had the answers, not because I'm smart, but just because of that. Uh, What I think has to happen for many of us is we have to unlearn and then relearn something. I love teaching in a way that deconstructs our own ideals and preconceived notions and gets down to a foundation and then reconstructs the footing on which we can build actual truth. And so this morning, I wanna do that with this passage, and I hope this echoes throughout the rest of, of our study of Exodus. The truth is for you and me is that we all want a hero. Some of us would even say that we need a hero. And we're holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's gotta be strong, and he's gotta be fast. He's got to be fresh from the fight. Right, we, we need a hero. I think we all, we're looking for heroes. So we look for them in politics. How's that going? We look for them in athletics. Is that going well for you? We look for them in musicians and TV stars and uh, TikTok stars and influencers. We, we want a hero. We look for it in our dad and our mom and our grandparents. We're looking for a hero. And what happens when we identify somebody as a hero, we begin to see everything they do as heroic. So to the person who has decided that a particular athlete is their hero, everything they do comes across as heroic, even if it's evil. 
Yeah, but it's because he just wanted this to happen. You see how that happens? When, when we throw the idea of a hero on somebody, everything else uh, becomes heroic in that light. But here's the truth. We're all just humans. We're all made from the dust. We've done this, I think, with Moses, where we've made Moses a hero that he had, was never intended to be in Scripture. In fact, the fact that he wrote this Exodus, this book, in which he highlights his own ridiculous behavior should tell you that he doesn't want to be seen as a hero. But we've made him a hero. The Bible is full of humans. They're a mixed bag of good and evil, just like you and just like me. Moses is not the hero. He's not the deliverer. God is. God's the hero. It's not Moses. Now this passage um, is difficult, and it's difficult theologically uh, because of what all is happening here. It's, it's difficult in the realm of language study and what words mean this and how we lose things in interpretation. It's difficult in the realm of sociology and even um, really what we see here in context of, of Jews and, and what they believe and all, all kinds of things are tough. But this passage, if I'm being honest with you, is tough for me because it's way too personal. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible, but it actually felt like the Bible was reading you. You ever had that moment? When you're reading a passage and somehow you kind of go to another place in your mind or your heart and you realize, well, this is actually about me. This isn't Moses' story, this is, this is mine. So this passage is that for me. And it's been hard. I mean, it's been hard because what has to happen then is I have to revisit places in my heart and in my timeline and my history that I never want to go back to. And it's taken me there. But I, then I begin to see in the rest of the life of Moses why, why God takes me back there. But there are moments when you might feel this. You'd be like, yeah, I've, I've been there. Oh, okay, I, I've felt that. I've felt that same feeling. But when we make Moses the hero, we rob ourselves of being able to feel the heart of God in Scripture. It's like, oh, well, I'll never be like Moses. Actually, you and I are just like Moses. We're a mixed bag of good and evil. There's some good things we've done and some pretty awful things that we've done, but what's consistent is that God is faithful. He always does what he says he will do. So while your kids are busy, I wanna tackle this passage. Just go to verse 18 while your kids are busy. Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. We met him before by the name of Ruel. Now he's called Jethro. We'll come back to his name in, in future weeks. And he said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. Underline circle that to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, remember Midian means strife. He said to Moses in strife, the land of strife, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took, underline, his wife and his sons. We only know of one that's been born so far, but there is a second one. And he had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. That's important, we'll come back to it. 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before the Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power, but 
I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, this is God speaking to Pharaoh, I will kill your firstborn son. And then something drastic happens. Verse 24, at a lodging place on the way. Whenever you see the phrase on the way, pay attention. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. Now, if you're picking up where we're picking up, you, what just happened? What did Moses do? Like, that escalated quickly. That got real bad, real fast. Then, it just gets worse. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. What? And said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Anybody give that Valentine's card to your wife or your husband? So he, God, let Moses alone. And it was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Can we pray and go home? You got it? Are we good? What, what just happened? What happened? We left last week and Moses is at the burning bush and God's dealing with him. Moses is giving some excuses. God's reminding him that I am who I am. You keep reading in chapter three and Moses gives one more uh, complaint or excuse and God says, listen, I'll handle it. I'll, my, my mighty hand will set the people free. I've got it, we're fine. Some other stuff happens in chapter four, which we'll read here to put it in context. But then we get here. God chose Moses Remember, God rescued Moses from the river. God placed him in Pharaoh's court. Moses kills a man, runs to the wilderness. God meets him there. He's in Egypt for 40 years. Now he's in the wilderness for 40 years. And God meets him at a burning bush. And he says, you're gonna come and you will be the one I use to set my people free from slavery in Egypt. And then what, a week later, a few days later, God wants to kill him. Anybody live with somebody like that? What, what are we today? What's today? Now, a lot is happening here in this passage theologically, and it makes us, you can understand why people far from God are gonna stay far from God, can't you? If this is what God is like, this is who he is? Like, I thought you said he was tender and compassionate, slow to anger. Yeah, he is. Well, then what's this all about? What this is all about is that God is serious about sin because he is holy. He is perfectly perfect and completely separate from sin. He is holy. Now, you've heard that taught to you before and that created a distinction, which is good. He's separate from us. But it also gave you some uh, trepidation and thinking, well, then I just have to keep pleasing God to keep him off my back. No, no, God hates sin because he is holy. And God hates your sin because he is holy, but God loves his children more than he hates sin. And so he will, he will do whatever it takes to rid you, his son or his daughter, of the disease of sin. He will do it. And if that means a scalpel, he'll get it out. And if that means disease, he'll use it. And if that means divorce, he'll use it. If that means whatever, he's gonna use it to remove sin from our lives. He is holy. And God is just, he is right 
to punish sin. And if he wasn't just, he wouldn't be trustworthy. If God was the parent who made claims about punishment and never followed through, we would have no reason to trust him when he says, I will be there for you. He's faithful. He always does what he says he will do. So then the question is, good gracious, what sin did Moses commit that made God want to kill him on his way to set his people free from slavery in Egypt? What was this sin? Well, we've got to read between the lines a bit and put some things in context. And so I'm going to tell you the sin. The sin was that he didn't circumcise at least one of his sons. Now, I'm not saying go schedule that for your kids. I'm just saying this is the sin because in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. A covenant, meaning that it's an agreement agreed upon, but only upheld by one party. And God is the party. He walked through this blood covenant on his own while Abraham slept and he made this covenant. And he told Abraham, and a sign for generations of my covenant with you, with my chosen people, will be circumcision, the removing of the foreskin of the male. And in fact, it was to be done on the eighth day of that boy's life. Now we've come to learn miraculously that it's the eighth day that a boy's body produces a spike of vitamin K which clots the blood. It's almost as if God knew the human body better than we know it. So he says, this is the sign. This is the sign that you, the people will know that you are mine. You wanna know what our sign is today? Baptism. An external expression of an inward faith. So this happens. So what's going, what's going on is that Moses was in Egypt. He was a Hebrew, birthed to Hebrew parents with Hebrew brother and sister, but raised in Pharaoh's court as an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian, taught Egyptian ways, taught Egyptian education, taught Egyptian religion, all of that. All the while knowing that he didn't quite belong there. And he has a moment when he realizes, I've got to do something about my Hebrew brothers who were enslaved. So he goes out to set them free, kills a man, runs to the wilderness. And now the next 40 years of his life will be in the wilderness married to a woman named Zipporah, whose father, whose name is Ruel or Jethro, is a Midianite priest. Now, he's probably got some kind of Hebrew uh, Israelite education. He knows the God of the Bible, but it's been mixed in with some weird Midian kind of stuff. And one of the big things about the Midian uh, religion was they believed in circumcision, but they believed in it as a Oh, gosh. Something you do right before you get married. Uh-huh. You still engaged? How's that? Okay. And here was the belief. It was because they thought it cruel to subject an eight-day-old infant to that kind of procedure. Let me just tell you. I think their way is way more cruel. Because I don't remember anything from when I was eight days old. But gosh, I remember when I was 25. But that was the belief. So it was, they would say it was barbaric. Okay, so Moses, Hebrew, raised in Egypt under the court of king of the Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, now under the, the rule of a father-in-law who is a Midianite priest. He says, no, 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 we don't do that here. We don't do that here. 
And Moses, in a place of just lost identity, not quite knowing who he is, says, I'll take whatever I can get to have family. All right. What we learn about Moses and Zipporah taking their sons with them is that they were not married, which meant they had not been. But God gave a commandment based on a covenantal agreement that this is how you will know you are mine. And then God calls Moses to go set Hebrews free. How can a man go set Hebrews free without actually being a Hebrew father? How can a man go bring freedom to a nation of people without being free himself? This is something God takes seriously. And it feels insignificant. What's the big deal? Well, God said to do it. That's the big deal. He's holy, he's just, and he is faithful. So I wanna put some of this in context. And what also we learn here is that Zipporah knew what was going on. When scripture tells us that God sought to kill him, the Hebrew, the euphemism there essentially is that he was stricken deadly ill. That essentially God had a choke hold on him and he would not relent. And I want us to use our sanctified imagination, put ourselves in this lodging place. It might've been a tent on the side of the road. Moses is deathly ill. His wife and two sons are there and he locks eyes with Zipporah because they both know what's going on. Moses can't do it, right? Moses, this is kind of a forced confession. He's, he's not willingly bringing the information. And Zipporah fixes her eyes on Moses and gives the look that only a wife can give. She says, fine, I'll do it. Circumcises one of their sons. And I read this before and thought, you know, I mean, he's probably a baby. Nope, not a baby. takes the foreskin of her sons, throws it at Moses' feet, and then makes this declaration, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. This is disgusting. I'm married to you, but now this blood is on your hands. Did you hear your son? This is because of you. What's interesting is we don't read about Zipporah and their sons again until Genesis 18, after the Exodus, when they meet each other again outside of Egypt, which tells us this, Zipporah didn't go with him into Egypt. This cost him something. The seemingly insignificant lack of obedience cost him something. Again, Moses is not a hero. Moses is a sinner like you and like me. And Moses has betrayed God and disobeyed God and run from God like you and like me. So I want us to take this what just happened. I want us to lay this over the rest of the passage. Go to Exodus chapter four, verse one. God says, I'm gonna use my mighty hand to set my people free. And Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And I love how God works because he never actually answers the questions that Moses asks. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, a staff. Why does he have a staff? Because he's a shepherd. Because he's not in Pharaoh's courts anymore. He's been a shepherd. And God said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And brave Moses ran from it. Moses was in Pharaoh's court, has been a shepherd, which means he's had to look out for snakes before. This isn't a garden snake. 
Many would say this is probably some kind of king cobra that it turned into. Now listen to what God tells him to do. The Lord said to Moses, put your hand out and catch it by the tail. Anybody ever caught a snake by the tail? Is that how you catch a snake? Thank you. (laughs) No. But God said, do it my way. He caught it, verse four, and it became a staff again in his hand. Verse five, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob, again, not heroes, beyond imperfect, has appeared to you. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And so Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak and we took it out. Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Are you picking up what's happening? God gives a command. Moses obeys the command and chaos ensues. Have you ever felt like that in your obedience with God? When God says, hey, do this and you do it and then things are actually worse than they were before you did what he asked you to do. Anybody experience that? You can, it's okay. It's biblical. This is biblical. God commands, Moses has to act, and then the result of Moses' obedience is chaos. And then God speaks again, Moses has to be obedient, and then God restores order to the chaos. You see the path? You see the process of what's happening. Moses put his hand in, and we just read, and he took it out, and it was leprous, and then he put it back in. I don't think he put it back in. I think he screamed. Honestly, I think think he freaked. Wouldn't you freak out? My hand was fine before you told me what to do. My marriage was fine before you told me what to do. My kids were fine before you told me what to do. My bank account was fine before you told me what to do. And then God says, I got it. Put it back in the cloak. And he does, and it comes out restored. Verse eight, if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign that they may believe the latter sign. But if they won't believe either of these two signs or listen to your voice, I want you to take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. That'll come up later. We'll talk about it more later. But I want you to just pick up on the process of what's happening. And then I want to make a statement. If we've never read this before, I want to make a statement here. I don't think this is just about Egypt. I think this is about Moses. I don't think this is just about God's power in Egypt. I think God's showing his power in Moses. I think God's trying to get the Midian out of the Hebrew. So he commands, Moses acts, chaos ensues. God commands, Moses acts, everything is put back in right order. This is not just about Egypt, I think this is about Moses. So Moses keeps making excuses, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past, underline that, or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Hebrew there is, I have a heavy tongue. But the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? This should sound like Job to you. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall speak. Verse 13, 
Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Finally, we get down to it. Moses doesn't want to go. He's given excuses. Well, who do I say sent me? And Send someone else. Then verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now remember, it's a burning bush speaking to Moses. I'll give you dozens of reasons why not to believe a bush speaking to you. But then this happens. And the language here is on purpose. The anger was kindled. What's kindled? A fire. So what do you think happened to the bush when God got angry? Think it got bigger? You think it got louder? You think he backed up a little more? You think he felt that? I think absolutely. And so God says, fine, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. I just, if you have brothers and you complain about something and then someone says, oh yeah? Well, I know your brother's better at that than you are anyway. How's that feel? Behold, he is coming out to meet you, which means God had already ordained Aaron to make his way out. When he sees you, at least he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak to you for the people. He shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the sign. Now we need to deconstruct our hero view of Moses. He's not a hero. This is not heroic behavior. These aren't pithy excuses that we mock and make fun of. This isn't, well, I don't feel good enough. Woe is me. This is, I don't think this is self-pity at all. I don't think that's what's happening here. Because we know about his secret sin, don't we? Don't we? We know he didn't circumcise his son. We know he hasn't obeyed the commands of God. Now, I want you to think about this in your life. If you have now or have had in your past secret sins, hasn't that tainted your interaction with God before? Hasn't that affected the way you view people? Haven't you grown content in being 80% known? Hasn't that secret sin kept you from being 100% sold out to the mission of God? And so when God calls you to a mission, don't you argue? And when God calls you into some sort of ministry or some sort of next step in your faith, don't you argue? And you don't say things like, yeah, but you know about my addiction. You say things like, oh, I don't feel good enough. We say things like, I just don't think I have the talent for that. But what's underneath all of that is, don't expose me. God, we can't. If I go back there and I go to set Hebrews free and I haven't obeyed the God of the Hebrews, this isn't gonna work. So I'm not so good at speaking. I don't think I can do this. Who, who, what authority is sending me? How do I do this? Well, that verse 14 tells us something. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. These weren't self-pity excuses. I think these were, I don't want to be exposed. I think that's what's happening here. 
And why do I believe that? Because Acts 7, Stephen tells this very account before he is stoned to death. And he says this in verse 22 about Moses. Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. I'm not convinced that Moses had a speech problem. I think Moses had a sin problem. In this account that Stephen's giving, this is the timeline. This is before he goes back into Egypt. What he's saying is, remember Moses said, oh, but God, in availability because of a question of Moses' secret hidden sin. That's what I think is happening here. And if I wipe out everything I know about Moses, how he's a hero and all the things that are coming and I just listen to this story at this time with these words, this is where I land. And I think that's why God's anger was kindled against Moses. Because I think even the signs were meant to allow Moses to confess himself. I think they were informing Moses, you can say it, I got you. I got you. You can confess it, I got you. We're gonna be okay, I've, I've got you. This is what I do. I think they were lies and I think they were cover-ups. I think if he knew that if he went back to Egypt, it would expose him and he couldn't lead Israel to freedom because he himself wasn't free. Those of us this morning who would be honest enough to say that we have or have dealt with secret sin, haven't you felt that before? I mean, haven't you felt it? Haven't you been in this place where Moses would rather take this sin to the grave than to walk in freedom? He'd rather lie and excuse his way even to God than to be free. This holiness of God and the justice of God somehow is for his glory and for our good. He doesn't have to pick. This is one of the most loving things I've ever seen in scripture. That God's not gonna let Moses continue in darkness. He's gonna bring him to the light. But Moses still doesn't get it. Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt. And then he gives him the reason. Oh, I just wanna see if my brothers are still alive. Doesn't tell him about the burning bush, which I mean, I understand. Doesn't tell him about the interaction with God. Doesn't tell him, I just feel like God's calling me to go sit. Doesn't say any of that. He just says, I need to go back. You see, the gifts that we have have a dark shadow side to them. I think Moses had a gift of compassion. I think he did. I think that's why he ran to rescue his fellow Hebrews. I think that's why he rescued Zipporah and her sisters and the flock of sheep at the well. I think it's why he is probably a good husband. I think it's why he's probably a good son-in-law. I think it's why he rose to power in Pharaoh's court. He has compassion. But the dark shadow side of compassion is compromise. 
because when you care so much about people's feelings, sometimes you compromise the truth to save someone's feelings. Compassion is a gift, but when it becomes compromise, it becomes a curse. Notice, I think Moses loves Zipporah. I think he loves his father-in-law, so he didn't wanna do anything to offend them, but he forgot his first commitment was to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Passion is a gift until it becomes anger. But Moses' compromise here has left him without identity and unwilling to be honest because to be honest means to put relationships in jeopardy. So he can't even tell his father-in-law about it. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt. All the men who are seeking your life are dead. I've got you. Moses took his wife and his sons, had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. Moses took the staff of God in his hand. What do you think this journey was like for Moses? You think he thought about his son? You think he thought about what he's about to do and the people he's about to see and the things they've obeyed and the things they've been subjected to for hundreds of years and he still wasn't willing to obey God on one simple thing? What was he thinking? Do you think he was counting down the days until he was exposed? Do you think he was just waiting for that light to come on? Do you think he was thinking of ways to avoid it, ways to get lost and not quite make it to Egypt? Do you think he was asking for God just to take his life? He'd rather die than have this come out. But God mentioned the staff, for Moses does here in verse 20. I think God told him to take the staff because he needed a reminder that God is faithful and he does what he says he will do. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. I feel like that could have been useful information before he started the trek back to Egypt, don't you think? Could you just tell me he's not gonna do it? Let's just do that. Just tell me that first. You should say to Pharaoh, God says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. What do you think Moses thought when he heard God say firstborn son? What do you think Moses thought anytime he ever heard anybody talk about their firstborn son? And I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. You don't think Moses thought, oh, this is what God does? Like I thought he was safe. At the lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Why? Because God's about to deliver his people. And he's gotta make sure Moses is ready for this. Now, this is some inference, so this isn't scripture, this is my interpretation, I think, of what's happening. I don't think God had a plan B for deliverance of people from Egypt. I think we've been sold a bill of goods when we've been told in church, hey, if you're not obedient, God's gonna find someone else. No, he won't. I don't think he will. I think he's gonna make you obedient. That's what he's gonna do. Because you're the plan. You're the husband for your wife. You're the wife for your husband. You're the father of those kids. You're the mother of those kids. You're the teacher of that classroom. You're the pastor of that church. You're the elder of that church. He doesn't have a plan B, it's you. And God always does what he says he will do. And when God said, I'm gonna bring you here to set my people free, he meant it. And that meant he had to deal with some stuff first. 
So he strikes Moses ill. And God is sovereign and he's providential and God knows everything that's going to happen. I think he knew what's happening here. There's this moment when Moses locks eyes with Zipporah and Zipporah takes a flint knife and cuts off her son's foreskin. Sin must be dealt with. I love you. I deeply love you. This isn't about condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore, there is no more condemnation. This is about your freedom. This is about your joy and your contentment. This is about your heart and your soul. This is about the mission God's called you on. This is about your calling. This is about your freedom this morning. First question I think we have to wrestle with as Brandon comes up is this. Have you allowed your compassion to turn to compromise? Are there any areas in your life where you've allowed your compassion to turn to compromise? And husbands, I'm gonna ask this. Has it happened in your marriage? Have you neglected the call of God because you don't wanna hurt your wife? Praise the Lord for your compassion. I need you to know your wife was God's before she was yours. He can handle it. Wives, have you? Have you allowed your compassion and your tender heart towards your husband or towards your kids or towards your boss allowed you to compromise your faith? Has your compassion turned to compromise? Have you been unwilling to confess hidden sin because you're afraid of what it would do to your spouse or your kids? I get it. More than you know, I get it. Sin has to be dealt with if we're going to be set free. I wonder how many of us, I know there's a lot of us who are about to embark in a new season of life. You've gotten a new job there's something changing relationally for you. There's something changing in a move or a school. There's something, there's a new season for you. Every new season requires new sanctification. And I would hate for you to walk into this new season and make it just like the last one because you've carried your sin forward with you. God painfully and deliberately and faithfully and lovingly did not allow me to do that. And I'm better for it. And my marriage is better for it. My kids are better for it. I don't want you to repeat the same season over and over and over again because of compromise. I think you've got a real chance. I think you've, maybe you're about to have, maybe you've had your moment at the lodging place and you haven't. I'll say it again. There's no plan B for you. You're it. Your spouse deserves a healthy you and the best you that God has created. If you're single, your friends deserve a healthy you. 
And your kids deserve a healthy you and your job deserves the best you that God has created. Do not compromise God's plan in your life because you're afraid of the consequences. And I'll take you back to the signs God gave to Moses. When you're obedient, will there be chaos? Yes. Yes, there will. And things will feel like they're falling apart. And what was once a thing of safety and security and protection has now become dangerous to you like a staff became a serpent. And what was once seemingly healthy will feel like it's falling apart at the seams. Yes. And God is faithful to restore it. Will it cost you something? Maybe. But it will cost you far less than carrying your sin forward will. You got a chance here. You got a real chance today. I believe it. I believe you got a real chance to make this next season different than the last one. And it's not because of circumstance and situation. It's not because of location or pay or anything like that. This is about letting the work of God do its work in you that you might be different. You know, the anger you held on to in your last season is because of your secret sin. Stop it. You know, the way your relationships have crumbled. Maybe it's not the other person. Maybe this is about you today. Maybe your job change. This is a real chance for you. I just hate for you to relive an old season again when God's trying to give you new wine for new wineskins. I'm gonna pray. And I mean this with all I have today. Do it now. You're in a room full of people just like Moses and just like you and just like me who have had our lodging place moments and we'll probably have them again because every new season requires new sanctification and God digs deeper and deeper and pulls out more disease and more disease to set us free. But this is a place where you can come and confess and come clean and be set free. And I, I'm not up here to scare you. You can continue living your life. It's fine. You can, honestly. And you can take it to your grave. I just don't know what you're missing out on. So I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna pray the Spirit of God convicts and gives us courage and boldness today to come forward and confess just to him. If you want somebody to pray with you, our elders and staff would love to pray with you. And spouses, let me ask you this. Are you the reason your spouse can't confess? Are you like Zipporah? And the moment he or she confesses, you look them in the eyes and you say, this is on you. You wanna know why they haven't come clean yet? They haven't felt safe enough to. So maybe you need to come with them and say, I'm with you, baby, no matter what. This is you and me. It's you and me. And I'm for you. And I want a healthy you. I want the best you. I want the you that God created in your mother's womb. I want that one. How do we get there? Because there's an Egypt ahead of us and it requires us to be ready for it. You bow your heads and close your eyes and if God leads you, come. God, thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that you've taken these words of scripture in my own heart, in my life, and I, it's not Moses anymore, it's me, that's me. That's me. 
I've tasted freedom. I've tasted what happens after confession and repentance. I've, I've tasted the joy that comes. I've, I've seen the proof that you don't have a plan B. You, you have a plan A. And it's me, God. And you, it, it was me for this church. It was me for my wife and me for my kids. God, I'm just praying, begging you to move. I don't want to see my friends in pain. I don't want to see them in compromise. I don't want to see them in bondage, Father. I want to see them set free. Like Moses, we have to be obedient first to see your power at work. So God, I'm asking, would you have a heavy spirit of boldness today to come forward and Walk in confession. To bring a child up and confess to them. Bring a spouse up. Maybe they need to confess. They, they haven't provided safety at home. Maybe they need to confess that they've allowed their compassion to turn to compromise and they don't know how to get back to it. Oh God, I just, I just help us to be obedient and let you show your power. Bring freedom in this place today, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.